Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The famous Mark Twain, the author, once saw a man shot in the street, and it gave him nightmares. He says that he dreamt over and over and over again that someone had put a large family Bible on the man's chest. And they did it to help him, but it only made it harder for him to breathe. Twain then remarked, in my nightmares, I gasped and I struggled for breath under the crush of that great book for many a night. And that's what the law does. It always accuses. We recognize, and we recognize especially today, that we haven't, that we won't, that we can't keep God's law. And it's terrifying. As we enter the season of repentance, we need to first come to terms with what we think of the Bible, particularly of God's law. If we think of the Bible as a book of arbitrary rules and boundaries that only serve to restrict our humanity, that only serve to crush the life out of us like an anvil on our chest, then it's going to be hard, like Twain found it hard, to engage in anything like honest repentance. If we're honest with ourselves, as we consider this, we'd probably end up more with resentment. Sure, we can try to act like good Christians. Sure, we can try to conform externally to the demands of God's law. But what about our hearts? Do our hearts agree that this is what human life looks like when life is thriving? If we can't accept that, then we run the risk of accumulating bitterness and resentment over time. And at some point, like many, we may even ask ourselves, is it worth it? Why not just let all of it go? As many people have, as as many people will. But the creation account in Genesis that we heard for today, indeed the whole creation account, encourages us to think, of God's law, not as simply a heavy burden, but as a set of boundaries that open up space for life as God designed it, that open up space for God and God's creatures to flourish. Take day two of creation, for example. God separates the waters from the waters. He installs the sky. To keep the waters above away from the waters below. And in this space, life flourishes. As the count continues, God fills the space with land, right? With plants, with fish, with birds, animals, and finally with Adam and Eve. If God had not established the boundaries that he had, then we would have nothing but watery chaos. Maybe the fish would be okay. But you and I... Not so much. We imitate this boundary, guys, in our own lives, in many aspects of our lives. We build houses 
Houses which are like little artificial skies that keep the waters away from us. We clean those houses. (laughs) Maybe. It's another way to impose order on our environments and keep chaos at bay so that we can have a space to live, right? And likewise, the rules that we impose, hopefully, are designed to keep danger and chaos at a minimum. Don't play in the street. That's not an arbitrary exercise of parental power. It's good advice. (laughs) Meant to keep our children safe. I remember one time we were at a local pool here in the area and the lifeguard was whistling, stop running. The kid just kept on running. She had to blow the whistle again. The kid stopped running. When she wasn't looking, he took off again. And what do you think happened to that kid? He slipped. He fell. He conked his head on the concrete. He was okay, thank God. But all meant to keep the kid safe. God's laws are precisely designed for this kind of boundary. The fifth commandment, for example, you know what, thou shalt not murder, sets a boundary on human behavior that prevents chaos in society. If you remove that rule from human consciences and human societies, what would daily life look like? Well, it would look a lot like it did before the flood, where people couldn't even live from day to day. That's why God brought the flood. Uh, True worship of God had been lost, and violence filled the earth. You'd have to be suspicious of every single stranger, every single motive, kind of like those apocalyptic movies. You know what I'm talking about. You'd be on your guard at all times, ready to fight or flee. You step out into the world, you step out into chaos, and it's exhausting. It's overwhelming. It's not life as God designed it, ordained it to be. You would have humanity adopt without reservation an every person for him or herself mentality, right? Forget about help and support your neighbor in every physical need. How can I trust that my neighbor is really hurt in the first place? Or to return to the example of our houses, what would happen if we took the view that the structure of our houses is arbitrary? It's overly restrictive. It keeps me from doing what I want to do. I don't like the fact that my kitchen window separates me from the outdoors, so I'm going to tear it down. I'm going to take it out. I don't like the fact that a wall in my house prevents me from going where I want to. I have to go around. We have a long haul. Oh, my gosh. Just knock it out. I can go where I want. That went pretty well, so I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll knock down another wall. Oh, no, that one was load-bearing. And before you know it, The rain is pouring in, and I'm sitting cold in a pile of rubble. The ashes on our foreheads tonight, on your forehead, serve as a reminder. We have wrecked God's creation. We have knocked down what God has created good. God formed Adam from the dust of the ground and breathed into his face the breath of life, and he became a nephesh, a living creature, a living being. When Adam and Eve broke God's command, God pronounced the words that you heard this evening. Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. 
He reversed the original creation by leaving Adam to revert to the earth from which he was taken. It's kind of poetic justice if you think about it. You don't like the way that I put you together? I'll take you apart. And that's the situation for each and every one of us. There are some sins for where the rubble becomes obvious. An addict, for example, most likely knows that he or she is ruining his or her whole life, even if he or she can't find the strength to break free on his or her own. And maybe never does. But more likely, sin is way more subtle. But God's word is there for a reason. Yes, it's there to accuse us. Yes, it's there to drive us to God for mercy. But it empowers us to also see the harmfulness of sin at its core. Even if we don't want to see it. From the outside, John looked like he had a perfect life. He was married. He had two kids. He had a good job. He had a spacious home. Everything looked perfect. Everything seemed to be going his way. But the truth was that none of those things filled the emptiness and vague sense of longing that he had. It is as he was living as he had some kind of hole in the middle of him, in the core of his being. He lived, in Thoreau's words, a life of quiet desperation. A sense of emptiness, a sense of emptiness is a hint that all is not well. It helps to tell us that the decisions that we make and our achievements many times pull us out of step with the way that God designed the universe and us to live. Honest repentance by the power of the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, our minds, our hearts to those things that pull us out of step with God and helps to move us away from them. It means admitting, as you did tonight, that we have sinned, that we are sinners, and that sin, in any instance, is not good. Right? That's not what we hear. Even as Christians, well, Jesus died for my sins. Uh, I know I'm saved by grace through faith alone. So I don't have to do X, Y, Z. That's contempt for our Lord's will. That's rejecting the impulses of the Holy Spirit. It means admitting that we are sinners, that we have sinned, and that sin is not good in any circumstance. For anyone. And instead it means turning to the one. Who created all life. And created boundaries so that life could flourish. Take heart good Christians. Lent is a long road. But ashes are not the end. For any of us. All will be raised. Some to everlasting life. And some as Jesus says to everlasting contempt. Condemnation. And the news is not good if we try to do things on our own and do things our way because we don't have the resources. We just don't to fill our emptiness, much less to overcome death and sin and condemnation. So as we get closer and closer to Easter, we also recall that our Savior talks about a house, not just a house, but a temple, his body. Destroy this temple, remember? 
from John chapter 2. And in three days, I will raise it. And the people were confused because they thought they meant the grand temple. But the temple that Jesus spoke of was an even greater temple, the temple of his body. As we come to Lent, we also come with the realization that our Lord took our place under the ancient curse. He took our sins upon himself. He allowed his body to return to dust. Well, no, not to dust. Because on the third day, he was raised. And he restored life and immortality to the human race. The Holy Spirit instills you and I with the confidence and trust in what our Savior accomplished for us, what he came to do. And we see the importance of what he seeks to do in us as well. Conform us to his likeness. Conform us to his likeness. In Christ, life can and does flourish. The chaos that is sin, death, and the power of the devil and the desires of our sinful nature, which Luther says does not want to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come, which is scary. Those things are undone. And we embrace God's boundaries. Until that day when this reality, when our full humanity is restored without remainder, take solace, listen to God's spirit-given word and the spirit-given faith that agrees with the word, that says that we are sinners, that said sin is bad, that, that calls us to repentance and faith. Because it is this word that makes honest repentance possible. And honest repentance is not just a journey that you and I will take this Lent but something that God's word works throughout our lives so that through the gospel, through the gospel, our life may flourish and we may follow Jesus for all that he has done for us and in us. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.